You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Lamentations chapter 3. It's a familiar text uh, today. I think probably most of us are pretty familiar with this. And, uh, but I do think there's uh, some important truth, and especially it leads us to uh, kind of something unique I'm going to be doing tonight, Lord willing. Lamentations 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 21. And read just three verses here. Lamentations 3, verse 21, it says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What a, I mean, just a rich text here. I mean, just three verses and to wrap your mind around everything that you just read. Uh, Jeremiah is in a tough situation, and in a tough situation, he's recalling truth to his mind. He's not dwelling on the emotion. He's not sorrowing in, in, in the, uh, the time of life that he's in and the toughness of the situation. He says, no, this I recall to my mind, and this gives me hope. There are some truths that I need to remember, and it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you for standing. In honor of reading of the scripture, you can be seated, and we'll get into the preaching. Aaron and I were at Walmart yesterday, and we left the kids home, as has been our practice when we go to the store these days, and and we go kind of brave it ourselves. And you know, if you've been to Walmart or you've been to the grocery store any time recently, then you know how it is now. It's like going on a reconnaissance mission or you're like going in to rescue a prisoner of war behind enemy lines. It is a totally different experience than anything I'd ever been in before. You know, before we go in, I'm, she's showing me the list and it's like, here's the layout of the building you go in through the air ducts here, and here's the, no, not really, not quite that, that realistic. But, you know, you, I'm going to one place, she's going to the other place to get what we need. We're going to get what we need, and we're going to meet, uh, get out, meet me at self-checkout, counter number 21 at 0130. You know, that, that kind of thing. You, you go in, you get what you need. There's one entrance now. They only allow you to go in and out a certain way. They only allow a certain number of people in the store at once. Uh, and so after we were done, we're walking out and the social distancing rules were playing over the loudspeakers in the parking lot. And it's tell, giving you all the instructions, telling you what you can, what you can't do. And Erin looked at me as we were walking across the parking lot and she says, welcome to communism. Because that's what it felt like. It doesn't feel like America. Uh, but if you think about it, three weeks ago, life was still pretty normal. And now look at us. Look how far we've come in just a few weeks. And if nothing else, this situation has confirmed in our minds through all of this that we, what we've been reminded of is how fragile and fleeting life is. 
particularly the systems that man have, men have set up in our country. You think about our financial and our economic system and our social and cultural systems and the government system and the healthcare system. All of these things we have assumed to this point in our generation that these things are strong enough that they're essentially untouchable. And they will always be the way they are. But this has been a reminder that something so small, a virus, something so small that you can't even see it with the naked eye, can change the world in a matter of days. That's how fragile a man-made system is. That's how fleeting it is. And as we read Lamentations, Jeremiah is the writer, he's the author. He was a prophet who was reminded of the fragility of life. And how fleeting man's system is. His life as a young man was normal. His father was Hilkiah. His father was a priest in the temple. Jeremiah grew up in Jerusalem going to the temple. He, He was there for the great revival under King Josiah. He saw these things happen. He'd watched Judah flourish spiritually. But he'd also seen then Josiah die in battle against Egypt and then observed his son take the throne. And then his son was an evil king who took Judah back into the direction of sin and away from revival. And from one king to the next, it went from spiritual flourishing to a spiritual tailspin. And it just got worse and worse. And after a number of years, then Jeremiah observed as Nebuchadnezzar led Babylon into Jerusalem to wipe out the city, to take down the temple and raise it to the ground, and then to take many of its inhabitants captive back to Babylon. So Jeremiah, uh, you have to believe, he watched people that he knew and loved carried off to Babylon or killed. He lost friends and he lost family. And he was called to be a prophet in a time like that. So he continued to preach God's messages to the remnant that were there and to the kings that were there. there uh, most people weren't there, but there was a remnant. And then along, as if that's not bad enough, along comes other false prophets and these false prophets rise up and they're preaching messages, but they're preaching messages that the king wants to hear. They're not sharing messages from the Lord. These false prophets are tickling the king's ear. So that makes Jeremiah look even worse because he's trying to give the message from the Lord. And the message from the Lord is usually not popular when it comes to sinners. So he's persecuted, he's imprisoned, and all the while, the systems that he grew up with, the life that he grew up watching, the life he thought was probably there to stay, he watched the whole thing collapse and crumble. No wonder they call him the weeping prophet. He didn't have a thriving ministry. Uh, He never preached on a live stream for hundreds of views, like some of us are these days. I mean, he didn't, you would have looked at him and you would have said, by the world standard, his life and his ministry was a failure. But through it all, he followed God. He obeyed his calling as a prophet, even when the world around him seemed to be crumbling. And and we could take a lot of application from Jeremiah's life in that it seems like the systems, the man-made systems around us, are crumbling around us. Everything is different. What used to be good is down and bad, and what used to be high is now low. And we're reminded of the the fragility of man's systems. I'm going to take this a little different direction And focus not just on Jeremiah's situation, but what he wrote here in Lamentations 3. See, most of his saddest moments were captured. He wrote them down in this book of Lamentations. 
It's made up of, of five poems, and they're beautifully written, but they're extremely sorrowful. And the text that we read is like the moment that in Jeremiah's life, he's writing about all of these things that are so bad and so terrible and so hard, and he's really facing a storm, and the thunder clouds are, are rolling in, and the rain is beating down, and there's hail, and it's coming down, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and, and nothing looks positive. Everything looks terrible. Nothing is going the way that Jeremiah probably ever envisioned it going, but it's almost like you're, you're watching a thunderstorm, and then just for a moment, the clouds come apart, and the sun rays shine through, and they shine on Jeremiah. And in the middle of this thunderstorm, in the middle of what seems to be a terrible situation, Jeremiah has a moment of clarity. And instead of focusing on all the bad and focusing on all the negative and focusing on how bad and uncertain and how much change and how much upheaval has come, he remembers that there is the one thing in the midst of all the crumbling, there is one thing that you can always count on in life, and that is God. In the midst of all of this, God stays the same. In a situation far more desperate than ours, Jeremiah found himself turning to the attribute of God's faithfulness as his source of hope. In a collapsing world, Jeremiah is talking about God's immutability in that, or the fact that he never changes. I mean, what, that was what helped Jeremiah when everything else was changing. In the middle of all the change, he was reminding himself and it was giving him hope that yes, everything else is changing, but God never does. The world can crumble around me. In his mind, this is basically what he's saying. The world can crumble around me and everything can look grim and everything can look like it's heading downward in a spiral, but God cannot and does not change. Malachi 3, 6 says in God's own words, he said, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And that verse sounds a lot like what, what Jeremiah is saying when he says of the Lord's mercies. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Over in Malachi when it says, therefore, because God cannot and does not change, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. It, it sounds a lot like what Jeremiah was thinking in that God had made a promise to his people and he'd made a covenant with his people and he says, it is because I change not that you're not consumed. You see, if it was anybody else, they would have said, oh, yo, I know I said that before, but that was assuming that you would do what I told you to. Now that you haven't, you know what, forget it. But because God doesn't change and because his word can be relied on and because when he makes a promise, it sticks, then he says, it is because of that that Jacob is not consumed. My people are not consumed. And Jeremiah knew that. Jeremiah knew that God is a covenant God who keeps his promises and he will keep his promises with Judah even though it looks like everything has crumbled. Folks, in a time like this, our confidence can feel shaken. And especially if, it's, if our confidence if our confidence is built on a man-made system, it can really feel shaken. Right now, those who have always depended on health care to solve their problems, um, that has proven that it is largely, in many ways, ineffective. Uh, those that have depended on the system, of the financial system, and maybe their retirement, and all their eggs are in one basket, they're finding out that right now that man-made system can crumble. The relationships that you may have depended on Right now, you can't even be around the people that you love 
perhaps, and you're realizing that's not enough. Even that's fleeting. All of these things that we've always counted on, these man-made systems, if our confidence is placed in those, then we no longer have confidence. It's shaken. But if our confidence is placed in God, then we have hope. See, when I considered this text, then my mind went to the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I mean, the end of verse 22, that's how he ends, that's how he summarizes these verses. He says, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The reason Jeremiah could have hope and the reason that he could know that the Lord's mercies would be there the next day, that he wouldn't be consumed, the reason that he could have uh, trust in God's compassion is because God's a faithful God and he doesn't change and he's not going to be one way one day and another day, another way the next day. So my mind went to the hymn, great is thy faithfulness, which is obviously taken from this passage. And as I thought about it, and I thought if focusing on God's faithfulness his consistency, his immutability, his unchanging nature, if that could help Jeremiah in his dark moment, then it can help us in ours. And tonight's message is completely different than anything else I've done here. I'd simply like to look at the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I'd like to make some comments about the truth in each phrase in that song and then sing it as a church family. See, there's value in these rich, timeless truths of our hymns. See, many people, they'll treat a song service like it's an exercise, or or they'll look at a song like it's just part of our tradition. But when you stop and you consider the biblical truth and the richness of these lyrics, you start to realize not only do they praise the Lord, but they can change his people. So I want to look at the lyrics to Great is Thy Faithfulness, And if you have it, you can open it to page 8 if you've got a hymnal here or a hymnal at home. Um, If you don't, then uh, we're going to try to get some lyrics to you as well. Uh, Or you could just listen, whatever you choose to do. I'm going to start with, great is thy faithfulness. That's first line, O God, my Father. Written by Thomas Chisholm uh, in 1923. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father. And I start with the word great. It's great is a term I think it's thrown around far too much in our culture. Great. Oh, he's great or he's one of the greatest. These days there's so much debate over who's the greatest in this area or that. And they, they use a term, they call it the, the goat, G-O-A-T, which is greatest of all time. There's always a debate on in basketball, is it LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And in football, is it Tom Brady or... Or Peyton Manning. You've got these areas. You've got musicians and singers. And are they the greatest of all time? Are they the GOAT? Are they really the greatest? What's the greatest band of all time? What's, what's the greatest this or the greatest that? If you had a basketball Mount Rushmore, who would be on it? Who's the greatest of all time? Folks, there's only one that, it, one that the term greatest of all time, or even just the term great, can be applied to. And his name is Jehovah. Psalm 95, 3 says, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Psalm 145, 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. He has great power. He's done great things. These are all phrases from the Psalms. He has great power. He has done great things. He has a great name. His mercy is great. His works are great. He provides great peace. He can smite great nations. He's so powerful that he created two great lights 
to rule the night and the day? Psalm 77, 13 asks a rhetorical question. Who is so great a God as our God? And I have to say today, the answer is no one is as great as God. He's the only one that can be called greatest or even just great. I mean, all of these others that would be on the Mount Rushmore of basketball or the greatest of all time in football, they have about 80 years on this earth and then they're no longer. But God is the great I am who is from everlasting to everlasting. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, a God that great, whose greatness is unsearchable, has made himself personally available to us as our Father. I mean, he is at the same time God in heaven and yet Father to us on earth. He is high enough that that he's unsearchable and and unknowable and so holy we can't even approach him in our sin. And yet he's lowly enough to be our listener He's God, but he's my father. He's God in heaven, but he's your father. Take some time and just let that sink in. The most important people on earth would never take the time to talk to me, but their creator does every single day. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. James 1.17 reads, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See, God created the sun, which is amazing in itself. Just think about the consistency of the sun. Uh, it, it rises every day and it sets every day at about the same time and it, it changes from season to season but it's so predictable that you can get on the Weather Channel app right now and you can find out exactly when the sun will rise tomorrow and exactly when it's going to set. That's how consistent it is. But as consistent as the sun is, God is even more consistent. He's even more faithful. You see, the sun comes and goes. It's here during the day, but it's gone at night. It's not visible to us at night. It's out less during the winter. It, it can't be seen when it's cloudy. And yes, the sun is consistent, but the fact that it creates moving shadows as it moves along means it is, does not always stay the same right where it is. But God does. God creates no shadows because he never moves. The only shadows created uh, with, between us and God are us moving because he's always the same. With, him, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That's how consistent he is. That's how unchanging he is. God is that faithful. He goes on and, and writes, Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. And one thing about God's immutability is how he, he, he gives us confidence in everything else that he is. So what I mean by that is, His immutability, or that he's immutable, it means that we know he will always be holy. He will always be love. He will always be just. He will always be merciful. He will always show compassion because he shows compassion. The fact that he never changes means he will always be what he is and how he is. And listen, there may not be a more important trait than his immutability because it applies to everything else that he is. If he loves people enough to be compassionate, then his his immutability, his faithfulness, means he will always seek to be compassionate. 
In other words, folks, there's no ups and downs with God. Thankfully, God is not like us. He doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed some mornings, like I do many mornings. God is not moody. He doesn't go through times and seasons where he's up and then where he's down. No, he is always the same. And therefore, we can trust that he'll always be the same. That also, then, his promises will never be broken. His compassions fail not, not just because he's compassionate, but because he's immutable. That's an amazing thought. He goes on to write summer and winter and springtime and harvest. We started getting into nature and its witness of the Lord. Verse 2, this whole verse 2, we're not, we're not going to go to the chorus right now. We're going back up to verse 2. But verse 2 uses nature as a way to prove God's faithfulness. The seasons prove his consistency. He created it all and it reflects him. I mean, just this past Sunday, I was um, out, out here in front of the church and Matt Buffington and Sarah were out here and, and boy, they're just smiling a lot these days. I don't know why, they're just happy. Springtime, something. Matt Buffington was out here and he was talking about getting a garden planted and he said, they say plant potatoes on Good Friday. And I've heard that before. But you know the reason he can say that? The reason that's a saying and we can, we can say that to each other and, and count on that is because there's a consistency year to year and it helps the farmers and it helps people planting gardens and it's a reflection of God's consistency. Now I would submit to you that South Dakota weather does everything it can to disprove that consistency, at least in my opinion, in the last year. But that doesn't help my point, so I'm not going to bring that up too much tonight. South Dakota weather, I think, is on a totally different plane than the rest of the weather. But the truth is, the seasons prove God's faithfulness. And it reveals God's faithfulness. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Winter, spring, summer, fall. It's that consistent because God is consistent. He is faithful. Then he goes on to say, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. You know, that sailors could, could use the stars before there were GPSs, before there were compasses, that they could use the, star, the stars at certain times of the year to navigate their course in the open water is evidence of God's faithfulness. If the earth was slightly closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If it was slightly further from the sun, we would all freeze. Everything in our solar system is spaced exactly as it should be to sustain our lives. That's not a product of chance. It points to a designer. God is a God of order and a God of design. And these things prove it. And not only did he create, but Colossians 1, 17 reads, he is, it says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He Not only did he put it together and create it, but he keeps it together. He keeps everything exactly running as it should. The sun, the moon, the stars, they have courses because God is faithful. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Goes on in verse 2 to say, join, right, join with all nature. All these things, they join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness and mercy and love. That summer and winter and springtime and harvest and sun and moon and stars, all of those things, they all point to God's faithfulness. And nature points to God. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
Psalm 19, 1 through 5 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, no matter what culture, no matter what language, no matter what part of the planet, nature points to a consistent and faithful God. Psalm 19, their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a, as a strong man to run a race. Nature points to God. It is God's continuous witness. And no one, unless they have preconceived ideas, can deny that our universe and our planet and the seasons and the skies point to a faithful designer. Verse 3, in great is thy faithfulness, it says, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Verse 3 is a list of blessings that God gives his children and how his faithfulness gives us confidence that in those things. Look, it starts with pardon for sin. Christ's death on the cross, it gives us the opportunity to enjoy forgiven sin. I mean, the fact that God is faithful means he will continue to forgive our sin as we confess. If you think about 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful to forgive us our sins and, cleanse us for, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, Thomas Chisholm had it right when he was connecting things that are true about God uh, to his faithfulness. He says, pardon for sin. He is faithful to forgive us every time we come to him. And it, it is his faithfulness that gives us confidence that every time that I confess my sin, he will forgive it. Why? Because he's faithful. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. We talked about peace on Sunday. This is peace that lasts and endures. Because God is faithful, then that inner peace that we have as his children, it does not have to be fleeting. It does not have to disappear. It's as consistent as God's nature. He can provide peace that endures even in troubling times. Why? Because he's faithful. He says, thine own presence to cheer and to guide. We talked about that Sunday as well. God's presence. What an amazing promise that God personally walks with us. Psalm 23, 4 came to my mind this week, and it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But we don't have to fear any valley, even if it's the valley of the shadow of death, because God is with me. It says, For thou art with me. He walks along with us. God's peace and presence, that's what we looked at on Sunday. We can have confidence in those things. Why? Because he's faithful. The result of walking with God is cheer. He says cheer and to guide. It gives us cheerfulness or joy. It guides us. Strength for today, he says, he continues in verse 3, and bright hope for tomorrow. His faithfulness is our confidence that we will not only have the strength we need for this day, but the hope that the same will be true tomorrow. It's not blind hope. We're not waking up thinking, well, I really hope that it's going to be different tomorrow and that I'll be able. No, it's founded on the fact that he's proven it every other day. So why would we think that he would leave us to fend for ourselves tomorrow? We have bright hope. 
And you say, I don't know how it's bright. Have you seen the headlines? Have you seen the news? Well, yes, I have. But even if tomorrow doesn't go like we wish it would, our future is a bright hope. We can look ahead, not even just to tomorrow or next week, but someday, if we're his children, we will assemble in heaven around his throne and sing praises to him. We have a bright future and we have a bright hope, even if tomorrow doesn't go the way we think. And even if the world crumbles around us, we have bright hope. Don't forget that. Our future is as sure as God is. He ends verse 3 and he says, Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. You know what he's saying? He's saying, these, all these things I just talked about are my blessings. He basically, it's been about these blessings. Like he starts with pardon for sin and peace that endureth, endureth. And he says, God's presence to cheer and to guide. And he said, then he says, and I have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And he says, these blessings are all mine. Blessings all mine. But then he says, but 10,000 beside. What Chisholm is saying is that all of these, the, the, our, our blessings from God, pardon and peace and his presence and his strength and his hope. But I could talk about 10,000 other blessings and I don't have time to write them in these, this hymnal, but I, have, I could write 10,000 others beside these that are blessings that are connected to the fact that God is a faithful God. If we could list out all the blessings that God has provided us, there'd be thousands. We wouldn't have time. Chisholm's saying the same thing. Then we move into the chorus. He says, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. We've already talked about that phrase. But then he says, morning by morning, new mercies I see. This goes directly back to Lamentations 3 and that God's mercies are new every morning. See, the idea is simply that God's mercy never runs out. It's not like you meet your allotment and then you have to wait till the end of the month and it, re, and it restocks and you've got more again. No, every new day, folks, every new day is a symbol of God's mercy to us. The fact that we wake up at all, the fact that we have breath, the fact that we have the health to get up out of our bed. Every day is a new symbol of God's mercy to us. He doesn't give us what we deserve as sinners. The fact that he doesn't just kind of wipe the slate clean. The next time we sin is another symbol, another picture of God's mercy. Every morning that we wake up should be a reminder that there's no expiration date on God's mercies. Why? Why? Because he's faithful. He says, mercy, morning by mer morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 10. We'll start to wrap it up over here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read you this verse out of 1 Corinthians 10. And I think it'll be a help to us to connect this last point together. And especially in the situation that we're all in. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. It says, There hath no temptation, no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. See, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 uses the word temptation, which means a way of proving. It's a test. And what he's saying is, 
what Paul is writing is that God does not put us in a position of testing that is beyond our ability to overcome it. And it could be talking about um, tests, uh, sinful tests or sinful temptations, but it's really talking about the trials of life. And it's talking about the fact that God never puts us in a position to fail. He always gives us the resources that we need to make it through that. He doesn't put us in a position of failure. He gives us the means to survive and escape and even grow through it. Well, how do we know that he will? How do we know that he does? How do we know that that's always going to be the case? Well, Paul uses the phrase right there in the middle. He says, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He's proven it. Time and time again, his people have gone through difficult times. I think back to Jeremiah and how he saw the temple brought to the ground and the city raised to the ground, just completely flattened. And Jeremiah saw the great heights under Josiah and he saw the lowest depths under, under the other sinful kings. And yet Jeremiah was saying, but God is faithful, his mercies are new every morning. And you could go all the way through the Bible, every one of God's people that he worked with, that he dealt with, he never put them in a position to fail. He always gave them the resources they need to make it through whatever situation they were facing. He did it for Israel right here in 1 Corinthians 10 in the wilderness. God doesn't put us in a position to fail. He puts us in a position to prove us. And he is the one that is always proved, and he's always proved faithful. God is faithful. It's how we know we have everything we need for this present trial because he's proven it every other time. We need not look anywhere else for help. God provides all we need. And he's the source of help that can be depended on because he's the only one that is truly faithful. And he closes this hymn out and says, Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. The point of this entire hymn is missed. If we fail to see that God's faithfulness makes a difference, not just ever for everybody else, but it makes a difference in my life. And it makes a difference in your life, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours. God's faithfulness makes a difference not just for everybody else, but Lord unto me. See, God's faithfulness not, is not just true in the sun, in the seasons, and in the stars. It's true in the forgiveness of my sin. It's true in the strength for this trial, for my trial. It's true in the mercy I need this morning for myself. It makes a difference in me. I remember years ago making a visit to a family that had attended our church in Stillwater with my pastor, Pastor Wayne Hardy. And we sat in their living room and the wife began to tell us about some very difficult times in her life and they were trying times, tough situation. And as she relayed those things, she said this, we've gotten away from the traditional churches and those traditional church services and, and we've kind of gotten into the more contemporary services and, and I like it and it's fine and I enjoy some of the songs they use but she says, but can I say in my darkest moments, I find myself going back to the hymns of my childhood. The truths that they contain provide me true comfort and peace 
and hope. And you know, it always stuck out to me. I thought it was very interesting. Because it's not the songs not based on emotions of, of a person that gave her comfort. It's the songs established on truth that helped her. And I believe one resource, folks, this has been a different, I know, a different kind of message and a different exercise, but I believe that one resource we fail to use enough when we face something that's bigger than we think we can handle is the lyrics to the hymns like we just read this, this evening. It's a resource. We've become so familiar, though, with it. And we've known it. And we can say the words and we can read the lyrics and we can sing it hardly without thinking about it. But I don't think we realize how much help we have in the songs of our childhood, in the timeless truths that are presented in a hymn like Great is Thy Faithfulness. This exercise, it's one I would encourage you to go through. I would encourage you to summarize the truths in some hymns that we may have gotten used to. We can sing them in our sleep. I would encourage you in this time of trial, in this time of testing, to consider that God has given us a resource that can help us survive it and escape it and even grow through it. I think it would be good for us to revisit some of the resources God has given us that may be sitting on our pianos at home, or in our hearts, or in our heads. And just take some time and revisit some of the truth, and especially the truths like this one today, that in the midst of a world that's crumbling, one thing never changes. God. Great is thy faithfulness. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.